0: This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, June 19th. And now... Welcome to episode 98 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. We are coming to you from Champaign, Illinois. This is a weekly baseball podcast. Paul, we're just two episodes away from the big 100. Yeah, hard to believe. Uh, Also, happy Father's Day. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a good day. Uh, Today has actually been the highlight of the week. It's been a rough week for the Elliott household. Why has it been rough? the air conditioning broke in both my car and our house and it's been in, what the 80s and 90s so it's been kind of a miserable uh week but uh, father's day has been good you know like 50 60 years ago that they didn't have air conditioning i know it's hard to believe someone else reminded me of that um i don't know how they survived <laughs> uh all right uh, yeah happy father's day to all the fathers out there i guess they'll be listening to this after father's day so i hope you had a good one uh i'm not a father so, um, but you're a son, and you have a father. Yes, but uh, you know, it means less to me. Still means something. Yes. Uh, all right, so preview of this week's podcast. We are going to interview someone that was at the congressional baseball game, which was in the headlines this week because of the uh, shooting of a congressman the day before the game at a practice mm-hmm. for that congressional baseball game. So we are going to interview someone uh, that was at the game, Uh, record crowd, record amount of uh, donations for the charity that all the money goes to, so uh, excited about that. Also excited about a deep dive into the 1981 strike. Mm -hmm. So the 94 strike, of course, gets a lot of attention. The whole season was canceled, but uh, kind of a precursor to that was the 1981 strike, where over a third of the season was canceled. Yeah, and prior to doing research, I had never heard of it. Really? So you never be... heard of the split season? No, I had not, nope. Okay. Uh, and then, of course, all our normal segments about baseball uh, going on right now. All right, before we begin any of those segments, uh have a Nelly update for you, a very timely one. Uh, so I Googled Nelly uh, on Google News, and an article came up uh, entitled, Why Nelly Thinks Father's Day Should Be Moved. So very timely. Do you have any guesses for why Nelly thinks that, Paul? I think Nellie thinks Father's Day should be moved because it's on a Sunday? No. Nope. Uh, because, because it's too close to a certain other day. Too close to Mother's Day. Hmm. So uh, Nellie calls his kids a blessing, but he can't say the same for the date Father's Day falls on, according to the article. Uh, this is a quote from Nellie. We don't get the hoorah Mother's Day gets, you know? They were advertising Mother's Day for f- four months ago. Then they slam ours in a couple weeks after <laughs> Mother's Day. Like we're in the shadows. I think they should move Father's Day. I think we should be way away from Mother's Day. Who published Day. the article? What uh, site? We'll link to it. It's some tabloid type uh, website. Hmm. Uh, as a father, do you agree with that? No, I disagree. Uh, but I do wonder why. Like, I think Father's Day was sort of a invention of homework. Like most holidays, it's... Drummed up by some company, like and, Christmas, Easter, and I'm surprised they they haven't pushed it back because mm. I think wasn't Father's Day uh, had to do with the Bible? Hmm, maybe. I'm kidding. No, uh, <laughs> I think. Well, uh, how could it possibly? I, I mean, anything to do with the Bible? I do. I don't know. It's just wrong with it. I do think uh, Father's Day in general gets less attention than Mother's Day. Or yeah, pe- exactly. pe- people, people, people. So you agree with Nelly? But. Moving on. Most families, I think, mothers deserve more attention than fathers. Mm, Hot take. All right, moving on. Uh, Baseball right now. Uh, Just a few things for me. First, the NL West continues to be uh, by far the best division. The Rockies, Dodgers, and Diamondbacks all are surging. I would say right now they're the three best teams in the National League. Looks like the wild card uh, in the National League is kind of already cinched up because, you know, one of those three will win the West and then the other two uh, are nine games up on the wild card Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah, and speaking of the NL West, to me the most surprising thing in all of baseball this year has been the Giants. Mm. Uh, They're currently on pace for 102 losses, which would be their worst season in franchise history. And I don't think they were like a shoe-in playoff team, but I don't think anyone was predicting them to be one of the worst teams in baseball. Yeah, I think the over-under... For them in Vegas was like high 80s. Mm-hmm. And yeah, right now they're they're 18 games out of the playoffs. Yeah. And it sounds like they've lost a ton from like last year's team or the, mm-hmm. the World Series teams. Yeah. I, I'm not sure why they're so bad. I assume the offense, right? Because like Cueto and Samarja haven't been terrible. Yeah. I mean, I'm going get hurt. Yeah. Uh, are you going to mention Eric Thames? Yeah. So I, well, I jinxed two different teams last week or two different teams slash players. First was Eric Thames, who I criticized for uh, stopped taking steroids. He heard he you loud and clear. Started taking steroids again, hit four home runs this past week, uh, heading into Sunday. And then the other team I jinxed, the Yankees, who I said I was a big believer in. Uh, you know, They were the hottest team in the American League. They lost five in a row to the Angels and athletics, uh, and that's, again, going into Sunday. So they could have lost six in a row by the time this podcast comes down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thames actually leads the National League in homers now after oh, like 19 after you had written him off 20 uh thames judge and bellinger are, are all right around 20 and at the beginning of the year i don't think anyone predicted uh, any of those three to be anywhere near 20 by the all-star break yep three uh three big surprises um who were you said thames judge and bellinger yeah bellinger is like my new favorite player mm-hmm. that swing is amazing yeah and he kind of came out of nowhere just like uh judge another uh bad prediction from last week for me uh the cubs i predicted would uh trade for a starting pitcher this week. Um they have about 9 hours to do that uh after Sunday's game here, but uh i don't think that's going to happen. So i was wrong. Yeah. You still think they'll trade for one before the deadline, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my Phillies updates, uh they were 12 and 12 on May 1st, like i said last week. They are now uh, 10 and 33 since then. Yeah, worst team in baseball. Mhm. Uh Trout versus Harper updates. Uh Trout could come back early. Uh, Before the All-Star break, perhaps. Called it. Mm -hmm. As predicted by Dr. Paul Elliott. Uh, Harper this week hit a home run that was 116 miles per hour. That's the hardest hit ball uh, for him in the Statcast era, which only goes back to the beginning of 2015. Uh, How long do you think a baseball hit that hard takes to reach the seats, Paul? Uh, 4.8 seconds. 3.8. Hmm. I have one more thing. Do you have anything else? Uh, yeah, I was just going to mention that the, the number one overall pick, Royce Lewis signed with the Twins, $6.7 mm-hmm. $6. million bonus. Uh, that They could have given him as much as $7.7 7 so he signed a little under. $7.7 7 Or a million, sorry. So he signed a little under uh, what he could have, and people were speculating that because he signed so quickly, it meant they had a deal in place uh, before the draft. So they they had known for quite a while that Royce Lewis was their guy. Of course, Hunter Green, who got most of the attention on our podcast, and th- another Californian uh, high school phenom prospect, went number two overall to the Reds, and he has yet to sign. Uh, Hunter Green, ACT score of 31. Yeah, that's impressive. Uh, I tweeted it out. My ACT I score was that. 29, and yours yes. was? Uh, 28. Mm. Yep. I had the highest AC- ACT score in the family. Did you know that? That's true. Uh, I saw When I saw it, it hadn't gotten any... Um, any action? Yeah, no action on that for some reason. <laughs> all right, my last thing. Quick quiz here. Uh, college World Series is going on right now. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten into it a little bit more because I've uh, looked at uh, famous major league players and their college k- careers uh, for blog posts with Bonds and then Paul Mero and and uh, Will Clark over the last couple of weeks. So I'm a little intrigued. Uh, so this year's College World Series field, so it's down to eight teams, and they all go to Omaha and play over the next uh, 10 days or so. So we've got eight teams. I'm going to give you their most um, famous alum, or the alum with the most war in uh, the majors. Mm -hmm. And you have to tell me the school they went to. All right, let's do it. So the eight teams, Oregon State, LSU, Florida, TCU, Louisville, Florida State, Cal State Fullerton, and Texas A&M. So which school did Albert Bell attend? Uh, I'll guess Florida State. Uh, Nope, LSU. Uh, David Eckstein. Uh, Oregon State. Florida. Mm. Matt Carpenter. TCU. That's right. Played with... Arietta, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Buster Posey. Posey went to Florida State. That's right. Uh, Chuck Nablock. Fullerton? Nope. Oregon State? Nope. Um, Texas A&M. Jacoby Ellsbury. uh, Fullerton? oregon state mm. uh, adam Duval, fullerton no louisville, louisville. Yeah. tim wallach cal state fullerton that's right so oregon state who Jacobi, was who was that who was the player tim wallach who did he play for he's like an 80s 90s pitcher okay i think uh oregon state jacoby Ellsbury, lsu albert bell florida david Eckstein, tcu matt carpenter louisville adam Duval, florida state buster posey State Fullerton, Tim Wallach, and Texas A&M Chuck Nablack. All right, uh, moving on to baseball on TV. Family, that's the way we all became the That's As you can tell from the background music, uh, we are discussing an episode of the Brady Bunch this week. It's season two, episode one, uh, entitled The Dropout. Uh, this came out in 1970. And uh, just read a brief description of the episode from IMDb. After a visit from Don Dresdale, Greg, who is uh, one of the children of the Brady Bunch, uh, Greg lets his obsession with becoming a Major League Baseball pitcher get to his head but he eventually learns the hard way that he's not the star he thinks he is. Pretty accurate description. Mm -hmm. Uh, A little bit about Brady Bunch before we recap the episode. It started in 1969 and lasted five seasons, which is shorter than I thought. Yeah, I agree. The show was started by Sherwood Schwartz, who is the um, producer, whatever, of uh, director of Gilligan's Island. And uh, in 1966, he had the idea to do the Brady Bunch after reading in the L.A. Times that 30% of marriages in the U.S. have a child from a previous marriage. Hmm. That's how he got the idea. Brady Bunch, of course, it's like two families mixed together because both spouses, I think, had their previous spouse die. Mm -hmm. Um, That's funny because even though they're trying to depict a reality that other sitcoms weren't at the time it's like one of the cleanest neatest uh shows like you know there's well, never... maybe there is a stereotype around uh those sorts of families and they're trying to break that yeah yeah i just feel like you know just like any other sitcom no resolution is left undone at the end of every episode and mm-hmm. just every interaction the parent has with their kid is very stereotypical Mm -hmm. yep and this episode um you know it starts off with uh former dodger don drysdale he had retired uh, in 1969 so he was a retired pitcher at this point would go on to be hawk harrelson's first uh, partner in the broadcast booth uh interesting he's in the hall of fame uh questionable whether he's deserving of it only has like 200 wins uh whatever Not as good as Sandy Koufax, who we'll talk about later in this week's episode. But uh, Dresdale, uh, you know, probably pretty famous at this point, just retired. So he guest stars in this episode, and uh, (laughs) the father of the Brady Bunch is like an architect Mm -hmm. and draws a plan for his house, and it comes over to the uh, uh, Brady residence um, to view those plans, the blueprints, and then, uh, you know, all the kids are out playing baseball in the backyard on the uh, the AstroTurf. Mm-hmm. And uh, Drysdale gives uh, Greg, the oldest son, some tips. Uh, Greg lets those tips go to his head and thinks, you know, hey, I can be a major league pitcher like Drysdale, and then gets obsessed with that to the point where he's uh, not doing his schoolwork. Um, memorizing baseball facts. Yes, uh, memorizing batting averages of every single player according to <laughs> the mother of the family. Uh, so eventually, you know, there's tension throughout the episode, and then it climaxes, uh, Greg totally bombs an outing for his Little League or American Legion team. Less, Get, th- less than an inning, 12 runs. <laughs> was that it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gets shelled. Uh, coach has to pull him, and uh, then he realizes that he can't be a, a major league pitcher. Mm-hmm. Very accurate. All right. Yeah. Uh, anything else I would say here? Drysdale's acting was slightly better than Reggie Jackson's from, was that last week? Uh, MacGyver. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. But last st- week was Ferris Bueller's. But job. still not great. All right, the clip we're going to play is the end of the episode when Greg realizes that he uh, needs to go to college and uh, give up his dream of playing in the majors. if I come in? No.
1: Listen um, about the game today cares about a stupid old game well anybody can have an off day come on next time you'll mow them down there won't be any next time i've got more important things to do you really must to travel around in old buses and have to worry about being traded butterflies in your stomach i'm never gonna play that dumb game again Go way overboard the other way. Listen. Baseball is a great game. But it's just one part of life. There are other things important too. Come on. Education's important. Listening
0: to people like the coach. Get up. Strike a balance of some kind.
1: I thought you'd be happy if I gave up baseball no no listen make it one part of your life for now greg not everybody can be a don drysdale all right maybe you can but maybe you can't now in the meantime you just go in there and you, you do the best you can i did the best i can and they clobbered me all right. yeah they did they did but that doesn't mean they're gonna do it the next time right maybe maybe if i work some more on my slider boy see and develop a change up Uh, sure you can do that and improve my curve well there's no reason you can't you work at it why i'll get so good some scout will come around and offer me a bonus Why didn't you stop me, Dad? Because I think you just proved you're smart enough to stop yourself.
0: For Out of the Box this week, uh, I'm going to talk about another Ben Lindbergh piece from The Ringer. The title is The Juice Ball is Back. Uh, If you are, gosh, we're going to talk about this. If you are an observant, I'm so sick of this discussion. A foot in the box listener, you know that several weeks ago I brought up a Lindbergh piece during another out of the box segment, and essentially concluded that there was no evidence of Major League Baseball altering baseballs to increase home runs. Kind of, you know, kind of concluded that by saying case closed. It's got to be something else. Well, that was wrong, uh, and. A little premature on Lindbergh's end and my end uh, so in this piece uh, Lindbergh along with Mitchell Lichman who is a former consultant to Major League Baseball teams talk about uh, some independent research that concludes uh, otherwise so Lichman did a study um, his own independent study where he purchased 36 game used balls from eBay and send them to a lab at Washington State University. 17 out of the 36 bowls were used before the 2015 All-Star break, and the remaining 19 were used after the All-Star break. They were all authenticated by Major League Baseball. They all had this sticker on them. But um, he, like I said, he sent these balls to Washington State, and he asked that uh, WSU measure several things. Uh, three things specifically are important for our discussion. One was the coefficient of restitution, or core, which is essentially how bouncy a ball is. Uh, second one was seam height, and uh, this was new to me, but the lower the seam height, the less drag on the ball and the further it goes, which makes sense. And then circumference, and uh, the thought being there that the smaller the ball or the tighter the ball, the farther the ball will travel. Uh, the results indicated that the newer balls used in August and September of 2015, and the balls used all of last year, were different in ways that would increase home runs. Noticeably different. Balls were bouncier, seam height was lower, and the circumference was smaller. Um, Lichman writes that the differences would add an average of 7.1 feet to a ball's distance, equivalent to the effect we would expect to stem from a 1.43 mile per hour difference in exit speed. Uh, I know those differences don't sound enormous or don't sound big at all, but Alan Nathan, a friend of the podcast, has written before that that small of a change in exit speed could lead to drastic changes in the number of home runs. Uh, Last July, he wrote that an exit speed increase of 1.5 miles per hour would be sufficient to explain the rise in home runs to that point. So, uh, yeah, I I think, you know, this is obviously just one study and we don't want to over rotate and conclude that Major League Baseball is definitely juicing balls, but it certainly reopens the case. Um, and I don't think it looks great on Major League Baseball. And uh, I think eventually we'll get to the point where we need, you know, some actual answers for Manfred and th- they'll need to release the, the research and the data that they've done. Um, yeah, I mean, home runs went up mm-hmm. drastically uh, after the All Star break in 2015. And uh, they've continued to be at that pace ever mm-hmm. since. The ball is the only explanation that makes any sense. Yeah. So uh, I think it's uh, pretty definitive. But you, but you were, I mean, we can go back. I and mean, look. you can, whatever. The science needs to be figured out on how they did it and all that stuff. But I'm just, in my mind, I have come to the conclusion that it hmm. was the ball. But when I brought up the article a couple of weeks ago, you we can go back and listen to the audio. You were somewhat with Lundberg and, and me in saying, well it's, I mean, it's got to be something else. Well, I mean, they were saying we did the study. Alan Nathan, you know, looked at it, and they aren't like lackeys for Major League Baseball, so I trusted their research. Mm-hmm. So I, I was skeptical, uh, but because Lindbergh is respected, right, I trusted it. But you are one hundred percent saying, until proven oh, I, otherwise, I think you're misremembering. No, no, I'm saying like today. You're saying one hundred percent, like you think balls are being juiced unless you see evidence to the contrary. Not one hundred percent. One thousand <laughs> percent. One thousand percent. Gotcha. Yeah, I definitely lean that direction. I wouldn't. I'd say I'm like eighty percent. Great. All right. Uh, my article for this week's out of the box. The one that I wrote that I enjoyed the most was from Wednesday, entitled "The Two Most Dominant Pitchers in Baseball." Uh, it looked at uh, Kenley Jansen and Craig Kimbrel. Um, and, uh, you know, as of right now, like I said in the post, Chris Sale and Max Scherzer are probably your Cy Young leaders. Mm -hmm. Both of them are having great seasons, uh, for the Red Sox and the Nationals. But I think number two in each league, uh, are these two closers, Kimbrel in the American League and and Jansen in the National League. Would you agree with that, Paul? Yeah, I haven't looked at it too much, but, um, I know Jansen especially has been unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lack of top tier candidates starting starting pitcher candidates mm-hmm. um anyway not to say that they are going to win the Cy Young but I think they'll be part of the discussion and I would usually disagree with that you know I don't think closers provide all that much value uh compared to starting pitchers but these two guys are having insane seasons so Kimbrel, his numbers uh updated as of Sunday 30 uh and two-thirds innings pitched uh 58 strikeouts so almost two strikeouts per innings pitched just a .42 whip. Anything below one is good. Mm-hmm. Um, .42 is just, you, you You don't even, can't comprehend how good that is. Uh, .88 ERA. Um, and like I said, 58 strikeouts in 30 innings. And then only five walks in 30 innings. So ridiculous uh, 10.8 to one strikeout to walk ratio. Jansen, uh, 28 and two-thirds innings pitched. .59 whip. 0.94 ERA, so a little bit worse in those t- two categories, but again, insane. Uh, 48 strikeouts in those 28 innings, and then the real kicker, zero walks. Mm. So there's not even a ratio. It's an infinite right now, 48 <laughs> to zero strikeout to walk ratio. And I, I kind of want him to walk somebody, so it's, then his ratio becomes 48 to one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Wade Davis has also been fantastic this yeah, year. Yeah, he's been a little worse recently, but yeah. For the first like month and a half he was great mm-hmm. my actual article comes from 538 and it was actually written may 1st so i'm dating myself a bit here i hadn't seen this yet though so the title before baseball reference Statheads relied on the big mac rob nyer wrote this piece for uh, like i said 538 and i'll link to it in the, the podcast page so uh, baseball reference is amazing uh, i use it daily And I don't really know what I'd do without it. This podcast certainly wouldn't exist. Uh, None of the writing that I do Mm -hmm. would be possible without Baseball Reference. Yes, I would encourage all of you to go uh, invest $30 for an annual subscription into the Play Index. We're not brought to you by them, officially, but unofficially (laughs) we are. Use coupon code Paul. (laughs) All right, so Baseball Reference was created back in 2000. So uh, the article examines what stat heads did before uh 2000 you know it's a majority of the baseball in history happened before baseball reference existed and the the kind of the pinnacle of uh the physical uh baseball stats um category was this thing called the big mac which was a 6.5 pound book that had all the stats uh up until it was created so, uh, John... so not just the previous season, but like every, yeah, every stat. Yeah, every, everything. Yep. Wow. So John Thorne, who is uh, uh, MLB's official historian, he's a good fellow on Twitter, by the way, um, he says, it was a revolution. This was the Moby Dick of baseball statistics, not only for its size, but also for its place in baseball history. So let's look at the history of the uh, baseball physical book stat um, genre. So 1922 uh, was the first baseball cyclopedia. That's when it came out. Um, that was, uh, you know, the first one, so it was pretty weak. In the 1950s, a thing called the Official Encyclopedia of Baseball uh, came out, and that was much better, and it was the only resource for retired players' career stats. Um, but both of these only gave simple stats, like batting average for a hitter and win-loss for a pitcher. Like those are the only stats that were included. Mm-hmm. And I think in the Brady Bunch, uh, this is what they were referencing, mm-hmm. This uh, the official encyclopedia of baseball. Although, the Big Mac came out in 1969, so perhaps they were early adopters because <laughs> the episode came out in 1970. Anyway, the, the Big Mac comes out in 1969. It's by far the best. Uh, it's the easiest to kind of flip through, search, all that stuff. Um, Do you have a purchase price? Uh, right now?
1: No, like back then.
0: Uh, I do, I do, yeah. So uh, it was $25, which is equivalent to more than $150 today. Wow. And I'm considering uh, trying to find this on eBay or something. It'd be cool to have. So uh, it came out in 1969, but the origins of it go back 15 years. In the mid-1950s, this guy uh, named David Neft, N-E-F-T, uh, was the creator of it. He was 17 years old and working a summer camp uh, with lots of downtime, his boss told him, hey, like you need to find something to do. There's just going to be a ton of downtime uh, at this summer camp. So he read through the official encyclopedia of baseball uh, and enjoyed it. And then 10 years later, while touring TV Guide's printing facility, uh, which was run by IBM Computers, realized that uh, they could improve on the, this official encyclopedia of baseball. But to do it, he needed lots of help to compile all of the stats needed, you know, more complex than just batting average and win win loss. Uh, so he put out an ad in the Sporting News uh, entitled, Wanted a Baseball Nut. And uh, Neft said uh, about that, uh, that ad, quote, we practically needed a truck to, to deliver the resumes. So they got a ton of uh, people interested in the job. He hired 20 of them. So Neft and then his team of 20, set out to create a comprehensive, you know, all of baseball up until 1969, which was 100 years, try to compile it all into this one huge book. And they did that. In a New York Times review by Jimmy Breslin, he said about uh, this new Big Mac book, The book is so heavy that the mailman bringing it to the house stumbled and suffered a severe groin injury. (laughs) Its weight would result in the nickname Big Mac, I think its publisher was also named like Macmillan or something, so that's where the name comes from. Uh, like I said earlier, $25, um, which would be over 150 today. The first copy, though, sold over 100,000 editions. and um, After that first edition, there were several more editions made up until 1996, and uh, it was the premier service for about three decades, and uh, now it's definitely switched over to baseball reference. So, without Neft and his team, uh, we would not have data uh, up until like nineteen twenty because that's before nineteen twenties 1920 is when they really ported their you know they searched libraries and mm-hmm. uh, looked all over America for um, you know newspaper clippings and box scores to try to compile uh, stats from the early days of baseball being kids who grew up during the uh, kind of the digital technological revolution uh or just the internet coming to be, I think we definitely take for granted just the amount of information that's at our fingertips. Like have you ever stopped and like thought about twenty years ago what someone would do if they wanted to look up a question? Like five times a day I probably look at my phone to look up kind of an obscure question or how to do something or like my air conditioning broke earlier this week and it's the first place mm-hmm. I went. So it's not even just baseball, but just in general, uh it's just such a different culture. I agree. I baked a pecan pie for Father's Day. And all of that came over the internet. Hmm. I would have no way to do it. It was a Otherwise, delicious, delicious pie. You're welcome. <laughs> all right, that is it for Out of the Box. Next up, TWTW. When you can put some of those categories, you know, you got your OBPS and all that and the VORPs. When they can put in TWTW
1: and then interface those numbers with TWTW under that category, then you might have something cooking. What, what, what TW category, is? Yeah, what is that? That's the will to win.
0: All right, my TWTW this week is Cubs-centric. So, Peter, listen up. Get off your uh, phone. (laughs) And all of you out there, if you're tuning me out, get off your phones. Uh, I want to talk. Stay on your phone because they're listening on their phone. True, (laughs) true. I want to talk specifically about batting order and scoring opportunities. As many of you Cubs fans out there know, Anthony Rizzo has let off uh, five games in a row, six if he let off today. I haven't had six games in a row and he's done very well Uh, through yesterday. He had gone six for 17 with two home runs in a controversial third one. That was a, ended up being a foul ball and six RBIs. He homered again today. Homered again today. Not leading off though, right? Uh, Not the game, right? Three for five with a homer and two RBIs. So now he's up to three home runs leading off. Um, And because he's done so well, it sounds like Joe Madden will keep him there kind of indefinitely or for the foreseeable future so it got me thinking about uh batting order and scoring opportunities last year we talked about how if you bat a guy first or second or third throughout the season he's going to get um about 20 to 30 less at bats as you go down the the line so uh you know a two hitter is going to get 30 to 40 less at bats than a one hitter and uh like i said down the line but we haven't talked about rbi opportunities so that's what i want to focus on today and wanted to use the cubs as an example you know obviously you'd prefer your best hitters coming up in opportunities where they can have the most impact where they can drive guys in so i took a look at the last so i took a look at last year's numbers for the cubs uh last year the spot in the order that had the least amount of opportunities to drive in runs was the do you have a guess i'm gonna guess uh leadoff the number two spot, which is actually where Chris Bryant, MVP, uh, batted for most of the year, Jason Hayward before he was bad. Uh, that spot had 165 plate appearances. The two w- spot? With runners in scoring position. The leadoff spot was second lowest at 166 plate appearances, so just one more. Um, the most? Any guesses? <laughs> um, three. Uh, three was high, two hundred and three played appearances, but spots four and five, and this, the o- this is with runners in scoring position or runners on base. Runners in scoring position, and the obvious uh, reason for this is because your best hitters are getting on base. So Dexter Fowler, Bryant Cubs, Rizzo, Cubs hit the pitcher eighth, correct? So, um, but if your best hitters are batting one, two, three, then spots four and five are logically going to have the most opportunities hmm. to drive guys in. Um, So guys like Zobrist and Addison Russell, who were batting four and five for a lot of last year, uh, had a ton of RBI opportunities. Um, So what does all that mean for this year? Obviously, I think you let Rizzo write out his hot stretch. He's been on fire. The offense has been doing a little bit better. But then I would say move him back to the three hole later in the year, we'll have the most opportunities to impact the game. Because if you leave him in the one spot, he's going to have 30 to 50 less uh, plate appearances with runners in scoring position. Sure, but it's kind of like chicken and the egg. Like, if Rizzo could hit first, he's going to on the, on the uh, base the most. Mm-hmm. uh So you'd want him to drive himself in. But like, if you hit him third, then then he's going to have fewer opportunities. You know, because like, the, if if you can't have a leadoff hitter that's getting on base a lot, then it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So like I it's, it's, I get I guess batting Rizzo first would essentially be an acknowledgement. That we don't have any other batter that exactly that can get on base, and we we want to maximize his plate appearances. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want Ian Happ to come up uh, down one in the ninth inning to end the game. At right off, you want Rizzo up there. I will say for all the knocks from the sabermetric community on Mike Matheny, they've actually tried. Um, they recently kind of rescinded their efforts, but they tried to get their best hitter, Matt Carpenter, to bat lower in the order to give him more opportunities to drive and runs he was bad and so they moved him back to where he's comfortable at number one but i think uh based on this data that would be a smart move and maybe kudos to Mathini for that great well that was good stuff paul next up uh is sounds of the game
1: it is nine forty-six p.m two and two to Harvey Keen one strike away Sandy into his windup here's the pitch swung
0: on and missed a perfect game That was Vin Skolik calling Sandy Koufax's perfect game in 1965. Koufax threw four no-hitters in his career and one perfect game. Koufax uh, had an interesting career. Uh, The last two years he pitched, 65 and 66, uh, just 29 and 30 years old in those years. Uh, He threw... Uh, over 300 innings in both years 335 and 65 and then 323 innings in 1966 man that's crazy uh 27 complete games in both years and i believe his arm was about ready to fall off yep he had uh what they called like arthritis back then or, mm-hmm. um but you just yeah they pitched him into the into the ground struck out 382 batters in 65 and 317 in 66 was great both those years uh .85 whip and a .98 whip and then a one nine three ERA and a two oh seven or and a two hundred four ERA and a one seven three ERA. Uh I believe Cy Young's in both those years, but you'll have to fact check me on that. Anyway, uh look at his, his baseball reference. It's uh it's phenomenal. Update on Scully, uh he's coming out of retirement for two performances of a Abraham Lincoln play. <laughs> On July 13th and July 18th, Scully is the narrator of the play entitled A Lincoln Portrait, which apparently a bunch of famous people have narrated previously. Hmm. So it combines Abraham Lincoln's words with orchestral music. Is hmm. that out west? Yes, I believe in LA. So if you're in the LA area, go uh, go buy tickets. July 13th and July 18th. This week's Sound of the Game is also an intro into our deep dive segment. The 1981 season is what we're going to talk about uh, next. And so to uh, introduce that, the last out from the 1981 World Series, the LA Dodgers beat the Yankees in six games.
1: Welch continues to throw in the Los Angeles bullpen. Watson hits it high in the air. For the center fielder, Ken Landro. this should do it. The Dodgers. So, the 1981 champions of baseball. And so, there is not the usual noise making. It became apparent midway in the game, almost with the departure of Tommy John, that the Dodgers will take command. Now, the Dodgers leave the field. Keith, I think it's time, Jim, you and me, jointly to congratulate them on their acquisition of the World Series Championship.
0: So this week on Deep Dive, we're talking about the 1981 season, and in particular, the 1981 MLB strike. Uh, June 12th, 1981 was the first day of 57 days without baseball. Kind of the, you know, 94 was the strike. It started in the middle of the season, canceled the rest of the season, and then mm-hmm. led into 95. Uh, 81, you know, started in June and then lasted about two months. Mm-hmm. And uh, the season started again in uh, the first uh, first week in August. It was the first ever mid-season strike, though. A precursor in 94. Yeah, up until that point. right? Yeah, so the first strike was 1972. Uh, and it only lasted 12 days, from April 1st to April 13th. There were work stoppages in uh, 1973, 1976, and 1980. But none of those resulted in lost games. Uh, but the the reason for the strike goes back to free agency, which began in the mid-1970s as a result of Kurt Flood, who was a Cardinals outfielder that was traded to the Phillies but refused to go there. His explanation was, hey, I'm a veteran. I've been in the league for a long time. I don't want to go to Philly because the stadium sucks. The fans are racist. Like I should have the option of picking what, mm-hmm. what team I want to go to. His career was pretty much derailed because of that. Owners kind of colluded to not sign him. But but his legacy uh, kind of kicked off that uh, the free agent process, and uh, the mid 1970s is when free agency started, and uh, the 81 strike was kind of the um, culmination of several years of uh, fighting and bickering about the free agent system. Mm-hmm. So uh, up until 81, the free agency system worked like it does today. Uh, after six years of MLB experience, a player was eligible to sign with any team. And then the team that lost a free agent was given compensation in the form of a draft pick. Mm -hmm. Owners wanted more in return to drive down the cost of free agents. And they proposed a system where uh, the team that signed a free agent had to put uh, 25 players into a pool for the other team to choose from. So, like if which is absurd. So, if like Bryce Harper left the Nationals uh, to sign with the Cubs, for instance, Hypothetically, <laughs> uh, the Nationals could pick any player from a, a, a pool of 25 that the Cubs put into a system. I assume 25 from like their 40 main roster, which for a team like the Cubs would be, you know, a decent player. The players argued that a player pool uh, instead of a draft pick for compensation would severely limit a free agent's value. So there just there would be less money because a, a free agent's value would go down. Yeah, teams would be less likely to sign a free agent knowing that they'd have to give up. Mhm. Yeah. But ironically, like that's talked about today in the form because draft picks have become so valuable. Mhm. The MLBPA, Players Association was led by Marvin Miller and Donald Fear, and the MLB commissioner at the time was Bowie Kuhn. Uh the system that uh, we ended up getting, the free agent compensation draft is a setup where There was a pool of players, but not necessarily from the team that was signing the free agent. So using Peter's Bryce Harper to the Cubs example, uh, the Cubs could sign Bryce Harper and the Nationals would get a player, but it wasn't necessarily from the Cubs. It was uh, almost like an expansion draft type of draft. And so you were still getting a major league caliber player, but it just wasn't an immediate return from the team that was signing the free agent. And how how did it get determined who was in that pool? Uh just like an expansion draft, each team would uh kind of put forward a player. So, you know, the Nationals might put forward a relief pitcher or something like that, but then the twenty eight other teams would also do the same thing. So it's like a just one player from their forty man or Right. Yeah. Just one? Uh I don't know the exact number. That would be a terrible, terrible pool. Um but it the it actually, you know, it it sounds kinda cool in practice. It actually turned out to be kind of a bust. No, I think it sounds awful. It's the talent if it's one person, one player from your forty-man roster? And the, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure what the the stipulations were. Uh, I would imagine it's more than that based on some of the players that were exchanged. Um, but the White Sox were actually the most active team. That's how they got Hall of Famer Tom Seaver from the New York Mets. Um, the Mets had left Seaver exposed, thinking that you know he's making a ton of money, and he wasn't very good at the end of his career. And so the White Sox nabbed him after they lost. Uh, Dennis Lamp to the Toronto Blue Jays. And this is in the off season after the '81 season. This is '84. This is kind of the most <laughs> the most noteworthy player in return. the uh, The first ever player um, or the first ever free agent compensation draft pick, you might say, was when the White Sox lost uh, Ed Farmer, who was now their play by play radio announcer, and selected Joel Skinner from the Pittsburgh Pirates, who was a catcher. So the White Sox, Ed Farmer signed with someone else, therefore the White Sox got a pick. Yep, and they took Joel Skinner from the, the Pirates. Interesting. Yeah, so that's the system that the, the players and the uh, owners eventually agreed upon, but that wasn't until the end of July. And the second half started with the Ulster game on August 9th. Uh, the strike canceled 38% of the season. And the, the way that the uh, playoffs worked, uh, there was a first half and a second half winner. So it's a split season, so like the first half, division winner, made the playoffs, and the second half did as well. It's kind of like how minor league uh, standings. That's uh, also how uh, uh, Europe, work. European League soccer works. Interesting. But it kind of played out in a funky way. Uh, for instance, the, the Cardinals and the Reds had the two best records in the National League, but neither one made the playoffs. And the Royals were 15-53 overall, but made it because they had one really good half. This was the only year that the Expos made the playoffs. their 36 years in montreal and uh like you heard at the beginning of the segment the dodgers beat the yankees in the world series that year 1981 was also the year of fernando we've discussed this on the podcast uh, a while ago but um fernando valenzuela made his debut kind of came on the scene i guess he made his debut in 1980 but uh he started the season with eight complete games uh just four earned runs in 72 innings to start the year he was the cy young and rookie of the year and was fifth in NL MVP voting. Public perception is always in, uh, intriguing to me during strikes, and uh, the public was pretty apathetic. You know, the, the previous strikes only lasted a few days. In 1972, it only lasted 12 days to start the season. So, I think fans just didn't think that the strike would last all that long, and they didn't really care like which side was right. Sports Illustrated had a famous cover to start the strike, June 22nd. And the SI cover read, uh, strike, the walkout the owners provoked. So that gives you an idea of, uh, people probably blamed it more on the owners than the players. What's interesting about public perception, uh, I don't know if you came across this at all in your research, Peter, but uh, there was another big strike in the news at the same time. The coal strike. Uh, I guess there were three Coal miners. Three strikes. In Canada, yeah. Uh, there was another one in the United States. This is actually one of kind of Ronald Reagan's defining moments of his presidency. Uh, the, the Union for the Air Traffic Controllers went on strike, and air traffic controllers are federal employees. And Reagan demanded that they go back to work within forty-eight hours, or they were all fired. And they didn't go back to work, and Reagan fired all of them. Wow! Um, so it was a huge news. I think uh, you know thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of. Uh, these workers were were laid off um so i that also adds to public perception um, hmm. occurred later in the summer but did did like air travel get like bogged down then right yeah, yeah, flights were cancelled, and it was a big deal. hmm, you know if the public thought like it was a good idea for Reagan to do that, yeah, they did that's a, it was a sort of a defining moment for Reagan, and I think support was definitely on his side hmm. Interesting. Yeah, there was a coal miner strike in Canada during that time, too. Hmm. Noteworthy. Certainly. All right. Well, that does it for a deep dive this week. Um, you can check back the next couple of weeks. I'm going to write one article a week about the, the 81 strike. Uh, so uh, look for that. I wrote one this past Thursday as well, if you are interested. Next up on the podcast, we have an interview. Uh, our guest this week is Zach, who uh, was at the congressional baseball game. So it's a bit random. A, uh, a new friend of the podcast. Certainly. Um, Zach uh, tweeted a picture from the game with the hashtag Congressional Baseball Game. Uh, I clicked on the hashtag and found his picture. So you can follow him on Twitter if you'd like at Zach Bruick, Z A C H B R U I C K. Seems like a nice fellow, and uh, I'm excited to talk to him about the Congressional Baseball Game. This week's guest on the podcast. Zach Bruick. I met him a couple days ago on Twitter because he tweeted from the Congressional Baseball game. So Zach, welcome to our podcast, which you've never heard of before.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
0: Uh, all right, so first off, uh, just curious to know kind of your backstory. Why are you in D.C. for the summer?
1: Yeah, so uh, I just actually graduated from Valparaiso uh, University. Uh, it's about an hour uh, east of Chicago um, as a a meteorologist, and I'm out interning at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center um, in Maryland. It's about um, 20 miles north of of downtown D.C., so out here for the summer and um, enjoying life.
0: Nice, nice. Is this the first time you've been to D.C.?
1: I've been here visiting for a week here and there. This is the first time I've ever gotten to to live here for uh, 10 weeks at least.
0: Okay, you picked a pretty tense uh, time to make your first uh, D.C. experience.
1: Absolutely, yeah. No, it's it's one of those things of uh, um, I'm happy to be here for, for a short amount of time, but I'm actually starting grad school in in the fall in Colorado, and uh, I'm sure by then I'll be uh, happy to be moving out, out that way.
0: All right, so, uh, of course, this congressional baseball game, a lot more popular a lot more attention than previous years because of the the shooting of steve scalise on wednesday Mm -hmm. uh before the game what was kind of the atmosphere of the mood in dc was after the shooting was it kind of like talked about a ton Um, was it kind of a a somber uh couple days 24 hours or so
1: it was really interesting because i found out about it at work and i'm actually I was planning to go this game before uh, this event happened because I'm friends with um, actually a congressman's daughter hmm. um, who lives in who lives in D.C. And, and I had tickets as a result through her. Um, and so when I had heard that there were and that the congressman is on on the team, and so when I when I heard the the Republican Republican team had become under attack, uh, my whole friend group here in in D.C. Um, a lot of alumni from my university that I know that live out here, um, all all were very concerned and thankfully, um, my friend's, uh, father was not at the, at the practice. Um, but we were all very concerned and it hit a little bit closer to home than Mm -hmm. anything, any other event like this ever has, uh, for me. And I think everyone was just caught off guard, I guess, in, in the DC area, I uh, went downtown that evening and you could definitely tell that there was a heightened security presence around the White House and, and other government buildings. And, um, life continued on as normal, but I think everyone was, uh, a little bit more cognizant of, of that happening. And, um, I think as a result, I, the showing up to the game, I think people wanted to be there and, and it became kind of this rallying point as well.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, all the news reports and on social media the, the narrative was sort of that people were coming together for a greater cause at the game. Did you get that sense being there as well? Did like was there kind of a real collaborative communal feeling at the game?
1: Yeah, it was really I didn't know what to expect. I, I had never been to a congressional baseball game before. I knew that the uh, Republicans sat on one side of the field and Democrats sat on the other side and I didn't know if it was gonna be like feeling like I was would- in a, in a, in a political debate or if I was going to be at a, at a sporting event. And, um, from the, from the get go, we realized that it was going to be a special evening when, um, both teams gathered around second base and prayed and then, um, surprised everyone when the, um, Capitol Police officer came out and threw out the first pitch. And, um, that was just an awesome moment, it extended standing ovation and, um, the loudest the, the crowd was all night to honor honor him and, and honor the Capitol police, um, heroism the day before. I think that was really cool, uh, to be there. And, and I think everyone put away any partisanship that they felt with, with where they were sitting in the stadium and, and could rally rally around that, um, celebrating the the police officer was there and, and clearly was recovering from injuries. And, um, also remembering Steve Scalise that was in the hospital as well as, as the others that were, uh, and still are recovering from it. Their
0: injuries yeah the the actual game itself the democrats won uh by quite a bit it was a blowout i watched some of it i'm not sure if you played baseball zach but uh based oh. on the speed that republicans were throwing the baseball uh i would think that pretty much anyone at the game could have gotten hit would you agree with that <laughs>
1: Yes, yeah, and unfortunately, their uh, their pitching was none—not uh, none too accurate either. I think there was probably at least four Democratic runs scored on wild pitches. Uh, I, I I played t-ball back in kindergarten, but uh, I'm I'm an avid Cubs fan. Nice. Um, so I I at least follow the game regularly, um, and uh, I was I was impressed by uh, you know the the strategy employed by both teams. Very active on the base pads, and uh, um, but the, I think the the pitching inconsistent. Uh, pitching on on the Republican side definitely definitely let them down.
0: I read uh, about the game, the congressional game itself. Uh, Ron Paul was the first player to ever hit an over the wall home run in the game. I was shocked oh, wow. by that.
1: Yeah, there was uh, there was only one real deep drive that went for a oh a double. Oh, I might have been a triple uh, or advanced on the on the throw at least to home. Um, that that almost made it at least made it to the warning track. I guess hmm. um, there was. No one no one really beat the ball around uh a whole lot. It was um I heard from, from speaking with uh, the congressman I got tickets from afterwards, it was a much cleaner baseball game. He felt that, that they actually played baseball this year as as compared to years previously where most runs were uh unearned due to errors. Hmm. Um, but uh it was it was it definitely was not a pro game either.
0: I'm curious, how did tickets work? Uh, you said you were gonna go uh, before uh, all of the stuff happened, but uh is it like a you know ten bucks for general admission, or how does that work?
1: Yeah, I, I believe I believe it was it was ten bucks for general admission. I was fortunate enough not to not have to pay. And I believe you got to choose where you where you wanted to sit. If you wanted to sit as part of one of the one of the party's um, representations, or I mean, they filled up all the way um, outfield seats and and down along the the foul poles. I believe where general admission anyone anyone could sit there. Um, and they even filled, I mean, they opened up some of the second deck as well. So it was definitely, um, crowd all the way around the stadium, um, which was cool. And, and, uh, all of the national staff was, was there. And so all the, all the food vendors was open. So hmm. it was, it all like a, a real baseball game in that way. You got that whole fan experience, um, as well. And, and, uh, yeah, it definitely was, it, I, I guess I learned it, it's, something that people look forward to here in the city regularly. If, if you're a, a full-time resident and, uh, for 10 bucks, I mean, it's definitely a fun night out in the ballpark. Uh,
0: all right. Last question. You said you're a Cubs fan. Uh, so, yep. uh, diagnose the, the issues. What, what's, what's going on well, with the 2017
1: team? Well, I just, uh, the game just finished up and, and thankfully we, uh, won the rubber match with the Pirates. I think it's one of those things that, uh, after winning the World Series for the first time in forever, the Cubs <laughs> the fans expect a lot now. And, uh, and I mean, you hear this on, I, I listen to the radio broadcast most frequently and, uh, uh, you hear Pat Hughes reminding everyone how young the team is. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, th- I think, I think Rizzo is, uh, showing great leadership for the team, batting leadoff. I mean, he's what now? Five for five in the five games he's yep. batting leadoff. It's, uh, um, I, I hope that that, that serves as, as a regeneration and hopefully uh, Bryant taking a few days off. He, his swing just looks uh, kind of lazy and sluggish right now and, and curveballs are fooling him. So um, I'm hoping that, that we can put things together. I think it'll come down to if we can get consistent starting pitching. Uh, I think the offense will, will come around uh, to it, but uh, I, I definitely am concerned about getting uh, five full-time starters that can go six or seven innings every mm-hmm. time around.
0: Yep, yeah, I'm a I'm a diehard Cubs fan and so we actually went to the Cubs Nationals uh series in DC last uh last summer. Um, oh, and I think is. have they, have they played in DC yet this year?
1: No, it's, uh, it's it's next week they're playing uh four games, three of them are night games, so I'm hoping to uh grab some tickets off of the StubHub hopefully day of and and nice. see how good a seat I can get and and head down there. And they play the Orioles as well in July, so I'm hoping to I've never never seen a, a MLB game at either stadium and, and so uh hoping to hit up both venues
0: awesome well uh zach uh thank you so much uh for your time and um keep working uh what are you working on like our mission to mars is that kind of what you're focused on
1: <laughs> I, 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 I wish i wish it was that cool Now i'm uh i'm a uh, meteorologist focused on uh atmospheric data looking at uh um the california drought and uh mm. its alleviation over the last six months or so so wow yeah
0: Very interesting. Well, thanks so much for joining us and uh, appreciate your time.
1: Hey, thank you very much for having me. Have a good rest of your night.
0: All right, closing down the podcast here, thanks again to Zach for joining us. Uh, Episode 100 is just two weeks away now, so get excited for that. Uh, Paul, would you like to tease what we're going to do for that episode? Uh, We'll be sharing a few of our favorite things. Good tease. Always the marketer uh update on two thousand five m v p baseball uh I won last week, so we have moved to six and one for the season not true fake news uh Paul's still up six to nothing uh It's becoming harder to fit these games in after we after we record convenient for you to say that well, you would agree right it's true, but <laughs> you're not really pressing me to play them. uh all right, so we promised to play one this week I don't know when it'll be. You can follow us on Twitter to find that a foot in the box. On uh, on Twitter, a note about next week's podcast: We have penciled yes. in a guest. Uh, his name is Mike Lucy. He's a reporter out on the West Coast, Sacramento, but he wrote a book called Baseball Between Us, uh, where he chronicles uh, his experience of taking his son to uh, all thirty-two baseball ballparks. Yeah, every week on the podcast is Father's Day for true a foot in the box. So, so you can you can look forward to that next week. Mm-hmm. Every podcast celebrates Father's Day. On Father's Day, we celebrate it the week after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're taking Nelly's advice and you're pushing it back a week. Exactly. All right. Uh, well, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Make sure to leave us a review there. Find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Send us emails at box at gmail dot com. Uh, so the analytics behind the podcast tell us we've had a lot of new listeners over the past month or so. Wow. So if you're a new listener, the hack uh, brought a whole new audience to us. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps, but it seemed like it was before that too. So uh, if you're a new listener, we'd love to interact with you. So email us at afootinthebox at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at afootinthebox. Uh, that would be uh, an enjoyable thing for Paul and I. You can find all of our writing and more stuff about the podcast at afootinthebox.com. Uh, Paul, do you have anything else? Just a reminder to keep a foot in the box. Happy Father's Day, and we'll talk to you next week.
1: Here's the story of a lovely lady Who was bringing up three very lovely girls All of them had hair of gold Like their mother, the youngest one in curls
0: It's a story of a man named Brady Who was busy with three boys of his own They were born